Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Man, we are, I'm going to get straight into today. Uh, I want to talk about guilt-free. Guilt-free. It's a great time to talk about guilt-free because I plan on overeating at Christmas. I will overindulge. This probably is sin. I will repent afterwards. Um, but, but, you know, the, the thing is we're coming up to Christmas and I do plan on having thirds, fourths. You know, I, I will pass seconds, have a sleep in the afternoon, wake up for thirds. And you can do that at Christmas. Just ask for forgiveness after. You're going to, I don't want to feel guilty. Do you know what the thing is, is that I, I took the words uh, guilt. And I, sometimes I do this when I'm preparing for a message. I think, I wonder what comes to, to mind when people think of the word guilt, right? So I, I, t- I put in guilt free. That's the words I put into to Google. And I searched Google images. And you know what came up? Chocolate, (laughs) guilt-free, and it was all about food. I thought that makes sense to me. And since we're coming up to Christmas, I feel pretty good about that. I think, uh, uh, you know, having Christmas and uh, overindulging is something we probably won't need to worry about because next year, I know you'll be very excited about this, but next year in the beginning of the year, we're going to go into a fast as a church. So don't worry about it. You guilt-free. You can eat all the chocolate that you want because in the first month of you know next year we're we're going to fast as a church. We've never really fasted in January before, but we're going to do it this year because I think God's got something so significant for us next year. Now I was talking about that at Van. I said maybe we should just change the the theme from change the theme from dream again to just ridiculous because I think that God's just going to ridiculously bless us and awesome things are going to happen. I'm ready for it. I don't know about you. I, I'm ready. And, and the other 10 of you will, will really look forward to next year. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think that next year is going to be a great year. It's also a good time, uh, by the way, if you're a parent, it's a good time to bribe your children with Christmas presents, you know, if they're not behaving. Now, I would never do that because I'm a pastor. But it's a great idea to bribe your children if you can. And actually, this kind of happened to me recently. So I was telling this story in the last couple of weeks. And, and my son, uh, Isaac, we, uh, and Sarah, we went out for uh, uh, coffee. And as we got to the uh, cash register, uh, the person told me the price, you know, that'll be $10. And I had $15 in my wallet. So I opened it and that $10 that I had was missing. And I didn't know what happened to it. And I looked at the lady and I said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I had some money. I looked at my family. They're like, you know, we don't know what happened to it. And I'm like, oh, this is just dad. He's, I've just spent it somewhere and totally forgotten about that. So I bought the coffees, just put it on the card. And then we, we jumped in the car. We went home. Later on that day, it was a hot day. This is last Monday. So, so it was a hot day. So Isaac said to me, dad, I need to find my hat. I said, no problem. Let me help you, bud. Because I really feel the strong connection with you. And I felt that connection until I looked for his hat and found my $10 under his pillow. And I found that $10 and I took this out and I looked at him and I said, what's this? And he had this moment where he looked at me and he sort of, it was like he didn't quite know what to do. It was like, I can't believe you found that. I should have thought more about asking you to help me find my hat. And so I, 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 took, I said, hey, mate, don't ever take money out of my wallet. We've, we really haven't done that. He's never done that before. So I said, don't ever take money out of my wallet because, you know, you, you can't do that. And he looked at me and he justifiably said, well, how am I supposed to buy my Lego Ninjago boat? I said, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to work that out. 
And I thought, all right, well, it's good. He's learned from that experience. So I walked into my bedroom and there is my son just cleaning up underneath my bed. And uh, he came out and I said, hey, hey, man, what you doing down there? He said, oh, nothing. Hey, um, what can I buy with this? And he had 55 cents in his hand. And I said to him, where did you get that? And he said, oh, it's mine. But I knew he was lying. Do you know how I knew he was lying? Because he doesn't work. He doesn't have a job. So I'm like, you don't even have a job. Who gave it to you? Where did you get that money from? You're lying. He said, no, no, it's mine. I'm like, is it? You're going to stick with that? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with it. And since my son is pretty determined, he stuck with it. So I said, man, I'm going to have to talk to mom about your Christmas present. And he was not happy about that. And he just walked off. I want to speak to you about living guilt-free because Isaac managed it pretty well. <laughs> guilt-free. So I want to read a story to you. And this is a great story. You would have maybe heard this story before. And it's a story about a guy, his name is David. One time he fought a giant called Goliath. You may have heard of him. So I'm going to read to you this story. It comes out of 2 Samuel chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. I'm going to read it now. It's a little bit. Again, I always say this. If you missed your devotions this week, I'm going to more than make up for it right now because it's like a whole chapter, okay? So here we go. David and Bathsheba. So in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged, that sounds pretty serious to me. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happens late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this or is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messages and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. So they had slept together and now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. I'm glad they included that. I really wanted to read that out to you. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Hurricane David felt a cold shiver run down his spine as that happened and as that word came to him. So David sent word to Joab, which is the guy that he sent off to go to war. And he said, send me Uriah the Hittite, because that's where Uriah was at war fighting for David. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked jo how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how was the war going? I don't know how you ask that. How is the war going? And how is Joab? And is everything good with the war? Fantastic. <laughs> then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And I think really what he's hoping for here, I couldn't resist this. He's sending Uriah to wash his feet at his house, hoping that he'll have sex with his wife. Because we all know what happens after washing your feet. It's just, <laughs> you know... 
Hey, go, hey, go wash your feet at your house. He's like, I know what happens after that. Come on, that's pretty common, right? And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and he did not go down to his house. And when they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house and sleep with your wife? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. In other words, he's saying, are you kidding me? Like they're all sacrificing and I should what just go home and wash my feet come on and then he says shall I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives I will not do this thing and David said to Uriah remain here today also and tomorrow I will send you back so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next and David invited him and he ate in his presence and he drank so that he made him drunk And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he didn't go down to his house. He's pulling out all the stops now. He's like, I'm going to get this guy drunk and then he's going to go looking for his wife, if you know what I mean. And then it says, this is what his plan. This is the best David's got. And he says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. Uriah is holding this letter that seals his fate. And in the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news and he basically said, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Boy, David's got some problems right now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We believe that you're going to speak to us. And Lord, I believe that today you're going to transform the lives of people that are sitting in this room right now. There are people in this place today who have had this sense of guilt about things in their past. Lord, do a transforming work through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Guilt is a difficult problem to solve. Guilt is a difficult problem to solve. Actually, the word guilt, if you look in the ESV, which is the translation that we read today, it translates the word as iniquity. And that word iniquity is used 109 times in the ESV. And what it is, it's, a, it's this feeling. It's, guilt is a feeling. It's an emotion. It's, it, it's how you feel about something that you've done. Actually, there are two kinds of guilt. There's guilt as in you were speeding on the way to church today because you were rostered on and you were running late. That's right. And, you know, actually, I did that one day and I got a speeding fine. I thought God would help me out. He didn't. You'll have to pay it. So that's the only speeding fine I ever got was on the way to church. No help from God whatsoever. Anyway, so that's the kind of guilt. You're guilty as charged. You broke the law and it's like, yep, I'm guilty. And then there's a second kind of guilt, which is that remorseful kind of guilt. It's this inner feeling that makes you sick in the pit of your stomach when you've done something that you wish you never did and you wished it would go away, but it doesn't. And I read a Christian psychology book and it said that guilt is where religion and psychology often meet. And I'm sure 
that you would think that just, you know, if you're a Christian, surely, I mean, many of us have given our hearts and our lives to Jesus and that was the last time you ever felt guilt, right? No, actually, a lot of Christian people struggle with guilt. They struggle with remorse. And it seems to be the case that the devil has a never-ending supply of guilt. Did you do your devotion this week? Oh, you're so guilty. He, He seems to never run out of things to make us feel guilty about. And the difficult thing about guilt is that it sticks to you. It's on the inside of you. You can't put it anywhere. It goes with you sort of wherever you go. Except for my son Isaac, it's like he's like Teflon, like it just slips right off, you know. But apart from him, it's like people often struggle with guilt. See, the problem of guilt is it never goes away. Guilt won't go away. If you've got stuff going on in your life right now, it just doesn't disappear all of its own. In fact, the truth is, is that if you leave it there, it's going to have more power over your life. If you leave it there, It's going to wreck your life in some way. Years ago when I turned 18, I borrowed my mum's car to drive to a shift that I had uh, at at a, you know, where I worked. And as I was pulling into the car park, I scratched her car. And I scratched it and I looked at it and I thought two things are going to happen. The money that I'm about to earn is already spent. And I'm never getting this car again. So what is the simplest solution? It never happened. Just deny it. And so being 18 and totally unsaved in my heart and, and everything, and I, I, I got into work and I got on the phone. I said, hey, mum. I said, I just want to let you know something. I said, you know how you lent me your car? She said, yeah. I said, look, I went out after lunch and something terrible has happened. Somebody has scratched your car. I didn't tell her that somebody was me. I said, somebody has scratched your car and I checked and it's like, I can't even find the guy that did it. All right, that part was a lie. That was him. And so I, I, I called and mum said, oh, okay, that's really disappointing, but I'll, I'll, I'll see you later. No problem. So I go back and I'm just sort of doing monotonous work. And you know when you start to just do monotonous work, you ever, your brain starts to tick over. So my brain is ticking over and here I am and I'm doing stuff at work and I started to feel a little bit bad about that lie that I had told. And I thought, you know what, like, here, here's my mum who's done everything for me, looked after me, and she's lent me her car so that I can go to work and earn money. I scratch it, and then I tell her it wasn't my fault so that I can get out of responsibility. About three hours of this goes by, I decided that I would rather pay the money and be honest than to live with three hours of guilt. So I called her up and said, hey, mum. I said, hey, you know how I told you that I, uh, that car got scratched and I didn't know? She's like, yes. I do remember when you told me the whole side of my, my car was scratched. I said, yeah, well, actually, the truth about that story is that was me. And I'm really sorry. And I should have told you in the beginning. And I'll make sure I fixed it up. And mom said, yeah, I thought that was you anyway. I wanted to see how long you would feel guilty for before you decided to own up to it. She was so gracious. You know, she didn't even address it with me. She just let the guilt take care of it on its own. But the thing is, I felt so guilty And I was going to carry that guilt until I confessed what I had done. The only thing that gets rid of guilt in your life is really confession. You have to get it on the outside because when it stays on the inside, it starts to get authority over you and over your life. And I think about this. It's Sunday morning. You probably already know that. 
It's Sunday morning. I think about the fact that there are people, like millions of people waking up this morning with a whole lot of guilt and regret about what they did last night. There are people waking up this morning who are getting text messages from their friends and they're saying, do you know what you did last night? And they don't, and it'll come back to them. There are people waking up this morning and they're checking Facebook and they're seeing stuff about what they did. And somebody wrote something about them. They were tagged in a post because they roll over and there's a notification on Facebook. And that's the first thing you do when you wake up, check what you were tagged in. And so they're waking up this morning and they're thinking, what the heck was I thinking last night? What was I doing last night? There are people, millions of people waking up today, Sunday morning. They're waking up right now and there is a surprise waiting for them. Something that they thought that they would never do. And they're waking up this morning and there are people all over this nation waking up this morning and they're feeling absolutely guilty and shame and remorse about what they did. And I'm thinking, why aren't they in church? Why aren't they here? Do you know why they're not here? Because they're thinking to themselves, I already feel guilty. I don't need to go anywhere where they're going to make that worse. I don't need to be surrounded by a group of self-righteous people who are going to point out my problems. I'm well acquainted with my guilt. And I don't need to go somewhere where they're going to point out. The problem is they don't understand that that is not what church is about. They don't understand that actually the message of the gospel is not about you should carry your guilt. And they don't understand that actually that there is a solution to the problem of their guilt. They don't get that. They don't understand that. They need help. And that's actually the thing that we're supposed to provide to their lives. And you see, the problem with guilt is that it's so controlling. It's forcing people to not make some decisions and it's forcing them to make other decisions. In fact, there are so many impacts that guilt can have on your life. And uh, reading this Christian psychology book, they said that, you know, when a person has done something wrong and they feel really guilty, do you know how they behave? They are really defensive. Have you ever tried to address something with someone when they have done the wrong thing and they start attacking you? I'll give you a great example. I used to work in a liquor store and and I remember one day I caught a guy stealing. So I walked out and I said, I said, hey, I said, what are you doing? And he turns and he looks at me and being caught like a deer in the headlights, he goes, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm catching you stealing. What are you doing? I don't know where he thought he could get away with turning it back on me. He starts accusing me of finding him. I said, you're guilty, buddy. I said, put that back. And he did. But that's what people do. Because when they're feeling guilty, they start to get defensive. What about if people just start to get self-condemning? Have you ever met somebody who doesn't think that they deserve good things in their life because of the stuff that they've done? And they think that every time something goes wrong in their life, that it's God's way of punishing them for their past sin. 
And more than that, they don't even think rightly about God, but they think that it's Him that's doing it. And they actually think that it's right that it's happening because they're just thinking self-condemning thoughts. Or how about this? Some people, when they feel guilt, they feel so guilty about what they've done. They feel physically ill. They feel physically sick. And you know what happens? When people start to feel guilty, you know what they do? They anesthetize it any way that they can. And a lot of people have, done, have, have gone into things they shouldn't have gone into as a way of quietening the voice inside them that continually accuses them and makes them feel guilty. So they anesthetize themselves any way that they can. I was at a uh, dinner last week and I heard this funny story about this person who was writing a text message and they had met with this individual and they said, this person has problems and, and so forth. And they, would do, they had to send this information on. They said, oh, this, this person's really dealing with some stuff in their life and they're this and they're that and they're other. And then they went to send it to the person who oversees that area and you know what they did. They sent it to the person that it was about. <laughs> and the thing about and the thing about iMessage these days is you see that little thought bubble that comes up so you know that they read it. And right after they sent that message, they were uh, overcome with guilt and it makes people physically sick. Like they just want to throw up, I'm so guilty. I just want something. I just want to be punished so at least I can feel like I got what I deserved. It's so funny how guilt plays out in people's life. And David is trying to get on with life after sleeping with a married woman, getting her pregnant and covering it up by murdering her husband. You think you got problems. Man, he's got massive problems. And actually, the thing is, is that he wasn't even dealing with it. He was just letting it be until God went and spoke to Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet comes and he addresses this with him. And when Nathan the prophet goes to speak to David, he starts to tell him this story. And the story, it's a funny story. It's actually about David, except David doesn't know that. And he tells him this make-believe story about this guy that did something wrong. And let me read to you what David's response is. It says in Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, verse 5, it says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, who was the prophet, he said, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan... I can imagine with an air of superiority at this point, looks at David and says, you don't like that guy. David's like, no, I don't like that guy. You think he deserves to die? Yes, he deserves to die. You think he's guilty? Yes, he's guilty. We should punish him, shouldn't we? Yes, we should punish that guy. He goes, awesome. You're the guy. You are the guy. And this is what he said to him. Nathan said to David, you are the man. And not like the song, like, you're the man, you're the man. It's, it's the different. He says, you, he's not complimenting him. He says, you are the man. He's, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and has taken his wife to be your wife 
and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. He's like, you can't get away with this. I know you used the Ammonites to kill him. You're still guilty. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you and out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. And when he says in the sight of this son, he's saying, you did all this in secret. It's about to get exposed. It's about to come out. It's about to be made plain. It's about to be made obvious. And everyone's going to know. Isn't that a scary thought or feeling? Imagine if you were here today and you had private addictions that you'd never told anyone about. You don't tell your wife. You don't tell your boss at work. You don't tell your kids. You don't even confess it to God. And the reason you don't do that is because the easiest thing to do when you're feeling guilty about something is sometimes to just pretend like it never happened. It never happened. Let's just never talk about it. Let me explain something to you very important. Denial doesn't work. Denial doesn't work. Numbers 32 verse 23 says, Your sins find you out. Your sins will find you out. They always do. It's like you can try to bury it, right? You can try to pretend like it never happened, but eventually your sins will find you out. You will have to deal with it at some point. You can run from guilt, but wherever you run, your guilt will go with you. Do you know why? Because your guilt is on the inside. It's not on the outside. People do all kinds of things when they run. People change jobs. People change churches. People change geographical locations. People change everything they can. And you know, the funny thing is we're coming up to the end of this year and you know, there's all kinds of New Year's resolutions and people will make changes to try to get away from their past. But the problem with the issue of guilt is wherever you go, your guilt goes. Wherever your sin goes, it sticks with you. Wherever you go, your sin goes because it sticks with you. So you can run from it, but you'll never outrun your guilt. You can hide from it. You can try at least. In fact, there's a couple of people that actually tried to do this. Adam, Eve, they're walking through the garden. You know, the serpent comes and he speaks to Eve and he says, you know, did God really say that you, you know, you couldn't eat any from any of the trees? She goes, no, 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 no. No, it's really, God's not like that. It's really, it's just this one tree. He's like, ah, oh, that fruit ain't so bad. She's like, yeah, you're right. Hey, listen, anytime a serpent starts speaking to you, you just know that something's an NQR, right? So, so just don't do whatever the serpent says, all right? And then she finds uh, her husband and she's like, Adam, it's, it's all good. He's like, yeah, you're naked. Awesome. Um, so he uh, takes the fruit and eats it, just listens to his wife. Actually, the truth is he doesn't even realize she's naked until he eats the fruit. And suddenly it says that he realizes that she was naked. She realizes that he's naked. And you know how they try to address the issue of guilt? This is the human race experiencing guilt for the very, first time and they get a couple fig leaves this ought to cover it and it doesn't because you can try to change everything on the outside 
But that's not where your guilt is. It's all on the inside. You try to mask it any way you want. You're not going to get away from that guilt because it's on the inside. You know, David, Adam, Eve, they've all got the exact same problem that we do. And here's our problem is that we just keep on sinning. Even when we try really hard. I keep doing it. I don't know about you, but I do. I mean, even when I'm trying really hard, it's like I keep making mistakes. Paul wrote about this and he said, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. You imagine if you're walking through the jungle and some poisonous thing bites you. Ow, that hurts, right? Yeah, it hurts. You're still alive. But if you don't address that bite, if you don't address it, 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 that's the sting, right? So something happens. There is a sentence attached to that. Maybe that poison makes its way to your heart. Maybe you just have to get a leg amputated. But if you don't do something about that problem, it's going to get worse for you. And he says, this is exactly what happens with sin. When you sin, the end of sin is death. And the power of death is the law. And let me tell you, you can't look forward to your future when you're still guilty about your past. Listen to that point again, all right? You ready? You can't look forward to your future when you're still feeling guilty about your past. Because it's there every day for you. It's in the present. You have an impossible problem. And David with nowhere to turn. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's so guilty. The prophet has just come. He pointed out his sin. So now we get to the Scripture that I really wanted to read today. Because this is where we get a look in to what David said when he got before God. And here's what he says. He says, Have mercy on me, O God according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I brought forth, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop that I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my guilt. And this is the part that I love so much. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He comes to God and he says to God, would you have mercy? 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 Are you kidding me? After what you did to Uriah, now you want mercy? You got that woman pregnant. She's married to someone else. You killed him to cover your own tracks and now you want mercy. That doesn't seem right to me. He says, oh, would you do something else? Would you blot out my transgressions? Blot out your transgressions. What do you want God to just overlook it? What, because you guys are good pals? Because you had that whole David and Goliath thing happening. It's like, come on, come on, we're close, right? Like surely you can just, can you just 
blot out my transgressions? Can we just, can we just get to the place where can we just pretend like this never ever happened? He says, would you cleanse me? Would you remove my guilt? Remove my guilt? David, are you kidding me? You can't just ask for that. You can't just come to God and say, just take it away. How unjust would He have to be? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to visit wrath on the people that do all the wrong things. That's what David prays for. In fact, some of his Psalms are, if you've read them, he goes, would you break the teeth of my enemy? I mean, would you break their teeth? And now he's in the wrong. He's transgressed against God. He goes, can we just overlook this? What kind of God do you think He is? If He's willing to overlook your issues, why shouldn't He just overlook anyone's issues? And if He does that, how could any of us trust Him? He's just willing to be swayed by any individual that seems kind of close to Him. This is a major problem for David. He says, my sin, it's ever before me. And you know exactly what David's feeling because you know what it feels like to have the highlight reel of your sins play to you over and over and over. And the guilt... It just gets pressed upon you. And the guilt, and I'll tell you what comes, I mean, guilt and shame, boy, they're so closely related, aren't they? Because you start feeling guilty and then you start to feel really shameful and remorseful. Every single person knows what it's like to have that highlight reel played before them. Are your sins ever before you? Is there anything in your past that you think, I really wish I hadn't done it. I've buried it. I've run from it. I've hid from it. But it doesn't seem to matter what I do. My sin is ever before me. I've never even told my wife about this. I've never even confessed this to God. My best attempt at dealing with the guilt that was in my heart and the shame that was in my life is to take it and pretend like it never happened. Let's just pretend it never happened. But you can't hide because your sins are on the inside. They're in you. You can't get away from it. Man, I've got to tell you a secret today. You have an impossible problem that God has already solved. You have an impossible problem that is already solved. Do you know why it's a secret? <laughs> because your mind knows it, but your soul can't understand it. And that's why you feel guilt. And that's why you feel shame. Because even when you've asked for forgiveness of your sins, you go back to God about the same sins because you can't stop feeling guilty. You understand it with your mind. With your mind, you say, I know I'm forgiven. But with your heart, you can't stop feeling guilty. And Paul says this. I mean, don't, don't, don't worry. You're not alone. Here's what Paul said. Uh, the thing that I don't want to do is the very thing I keep on doing. I don't want to do it. I wish I didn't do it. I keep doing it. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me? Who's going to help me? This is what Paul says. But then Paul says something else. And man, this is so beautiful. I'm going to read to you today from the Message Bible. And this is what it says. It was sin that made death so frightening. Because when you sin, death is attached to it. That's the sting. And law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power in your life. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death are gone. The gift of our Master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. Yes, thank God. Thank God that the power that sin had has been broken. 
and the guilt that you experience can be taken away. And if I was to use a religious word, I would say your sin has been expiated. It's like as far as the sin, as far as as your sin could be from the east, from the west, that's how far God removes your sin from you. If you think about how far they could be, it's like they just keep growing wider. God just completely removes your sin from you. He takes away your sin so that your guilt can be removed. Because when you're forgiven from all of your sins, your guilt is supposed to go with that. You can run from your guilt, but you need to do something about it because it won't go away. And the only way that you can get rid of your guilt is to confess it. You've got to say something about it. You've got to confess it. If I was going to use another religious word, I would use the word repent. Repent. It simply means this. It means I've been going this way for a while. I had a lot of stuff in my life that I wish wasn't there. I could fill a warehouse with the stuff that I wish I never did in my past. And I don't want this to get between you and me anymore, God. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you mess up, the last place you want to be is in God's presence. You mess up and then the next day you mess your devotion. Why did you miss that time with God? Because you don't want to go to Him because then you have to bring the reality of your guilt home. And you sit, get before God and you say, I don't want this to get between you and me anymore. I'm sick of it. I am sick of feeling like I can't come into your presence when I messed up. I know you said I'm forgiven, but I'm sick of guilt having its way in my life. I'm just, I've had enough. I want to be in your presence and I want to be in that place all of the time. And the only way that you can do it is that you need to go to God and ask for forgiveness. And there is only one name. One name that forgiveness can come by. And it's the name of Jesus Christ. And it's only by Him that you can ever be forgiven and have all the guilt that keeps you from the presence of God taken from your life. So here I am. And I'm in my bedroom. And about 10 minutes later, My son Isaac, he walks back in and I know he's feeling bad because as he walks back in, he's got his head down and he comes to me and he says something that's barely audible. I said, what did you say, Isaac? He said, I found the money under your bed. I shouldn't have taken it, but I did. And dad, I'm really sorry. I thought, what am I going to do with this? So I got down, because he's quite little. So I got down and I squatted down and I said to him, I said, Isaac, you've done something bad. He said, I know, Dad. I said, well, what do you think should happen? He said, maybe I don't get any Christmas presents. I said, maybe that's true. I grabbed his face and I lifted up his head because he wouldn't look at me. So I grabbed his head and I lifted up his face and I looked into his eyes and I said, how about we do this? Why don't I just forgive you? And then you don't do it again. He said, oh, Dad. He put his arms around me. I said, I'm still getting you Christmas presents, man. Don't worry about that. We'll still get you you some Christmas presents. And you know, the thing about God is people think that when they come into church, And they get before God and they say, God, 
I shouldn't have done that. They got their head down. They feel like he's going to say, that's right, you shouldn't. But he's a better father than I am. And even I got down and I lifted up his head. He's the lifter of our heads. That's what the word of God says. Even I lifted up his head and said, man, I forgive you. When you get before God, what do you think he's going to do with you? What's your expectation? Because if your expectation is that he's going to heap guilt on you when you confess, you're never going to go to him. Because that's going to keep you from him. But if that's what you've learned through church, man, you need to go back and unlearn a couple things about who our Father in heaven is. Because what he does, he says, he gets down. In fact, there's a good story about this. He gets down and he says, you know what? He says, how about I forgive you? And it's doing it right because someone already paid the penalty for the sins that you're committing right now, for the sins that you committed yesterday, and for all the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow. So, so what would you do? Honestly, what's your plan? What are you going to do today? Are you going to just keep running? Are you going to keep changing jobs and changing churches? Could you just keep changing geographical locations, moving house, getting new friends? Would you keep running? Because wherever you run, your sins will find you because you carry them with you. No, you, you can't do that. And you can't hide from it. You just need to do one thing and you need to do one thing. And here's the really awesome part about it today, guys, is that if you, if you actually get real with God and in this moment you confess whatever it is that's in your life, you walk out of here guilt-free. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.